0: A beautiful fluid accompaniment was Sue Johnson. I miss choir, I miss choir. You know, there are so many things, so many things that I'm realizing these days that I took for granted. And uh, our choir was one. We always have fun together. We always laugh and joke but we're doing something serious it's a real ministry and we all of us that are on the choir in the choir miss it and i missed i just missed the, the choir music and the special music that's why i'm very grateful to jerry for bringing these editing them out of old services and bringing them back so thank you jerry we're going to keep doing that for the rest of advent and probably beyond we're also going to uh, honor Christmas Eve service, our candlelight service, we're going to pull some of the carols that we sang together and play them on Christmas Eve night so that we can uh, recall that special time. Well, we're 12 days away from Christmas, and I know it's been a difficult one, but I hope that this Advent season you've been able to find some sense of hope, some sense of joy, some sense of peace. I hope that you're taking time to reflect on the promises of the Advent season, the season when we prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus. I think it's interesting that the Christian church spends four weeks, the season of Advent, to prepare for Christ's coming. Because the first Christmas, there was no preparation. It was a total surprise. It sort of snuck up on everybody that was involved. There's a Presbyterian pastor by the name of Michael Lindvall who tells a story about a Christmas pageant at a church in Minnesota. One year, the young moms of Second Presbyterian surprised the whole church when they decided that they were going to not do the same Christmas pageant. they not not do doing in the same traditional way, I should say. And a lady by the name of Alvina Johnson had directed the church pageant for 47 years, and all that time there had not had been a single change from in the script from year to year. And everything came, all the scripture came straight from the King James Bible. So for generations. The narrator had read the story of Jesus' birth from Luke 2, and it always said, Joseph went up from Galilee, you know know this verse, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, and then at the end, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child, being great with child. The first change that they decided to make was to add the number of angels and the number of shepherds and animals so that every child in the church could have a part. That was a good move. But on the morning of the pageant, the mothers decided to make one more change, one that caused a little bit more more excitement. They decided to switch the scripture from the King James Version to the Good News translation of the Bible so that it would be understandable for the kids. So there was no more quaint and beautiful language about Mary being great with child. And as young Mary and Joseph were walking up the aisle in the church, the narrator read the words of the Christmas story from Luke 2 of the Good News Translation. And it says, Joseph went to register with Mary who was promised in marriage to him. She was pregnant. Well, the little boy playing Joseph stopped halfway up the aisle and grabbed little Mary by the arm, looked at her and said, Pregnant? What do you mean, pregnant? The congregation burst into laughter. For the first time in 47 years, everybody in the church knew, or at least had an idea of how Joseph might have felt that day when Mary told him that she was pregnant. Surprised, Joseph. But there's something I wonder about our scripture from this morning. If I could talk to Joseph, I'd like to ask him this question. When did you know Joseph? When did the angel tell you? Scholars tell us that the book, the Gospel of Matthew, tells the Christmas story from Joseph, uh, Joseph's perspective. Uh, the Gospel of Luke tells it from Mary's perspective. Today's lesson is from Matthew, so from Joseph's. In those days, a couple was, as we've discussed before, often Engaged when they were very young. It was arranged. Their marriage was arranged by their parents for when they got older. And then when they reached a certain age, they entered a period of betrothal. The betrothal period usually lasted for one year. It was a preparation year to get ready for the wedding. Now, by now, everybody in town considered Joseph and Mary to be husband and wife, even though they didn't live together and weren't married yet. Because they were betrothed. But a betrothal could only be broken by a divorce because it was a legal agreement. It was serious stuff. And then, after one year, the marriage ceremony would take place and the husband and wife would officially be married and would live together. Now, sometime during that period, Joseph had this dream. When the angel of the Lord came to him and told him, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. It's okay, everything's all right. She's going to give birth to a baby, and you're you're to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, a year of betrothal, I think, is a long time for a young couple to wait. The theme song from the musical Rent is called Seasons of Love. And the song talks about how quick a year goes by and how important it is to live every moment with love. The lyrics go like this. 525,600 minutes, 525,600 moments so dear, 525,600 minutes, how do you measure, measure a year in daylights, in sunsets, in midnights, in cups of coffee, in inches, in miles, in laughter, in strife, 525,600 minutes, how do you measure a year in life? 525,600 minutes. Mary and Joseph, for much of that time, had to put up with gossip and contempt and questions, I'm sure, from their family, from neighbors, other people in the village. Everyone assumed, that they had not consummated their marriage, but still Mary was pregnant. So what does that mean? That would have to mean that she was an adulterer. And what did we do with adulterers in those days? The law said to stone her to death. These are real fears that Joseph and Mary had. They had to deal with when they were chosen by God. That's why we don't just celebrate Christmas as one day. We celebrate it as a whole season of Advent, which means coming. Really, we should name it the season of waiting. Because the whole Christmas season is about waiting on the promises of God. Waiting and trusting in God's faithfulness. Are you hearing these words? Waiting and trusting in God's faithfulness. Even when it's hard. It's hard, isn't it? Even when it doesn't seem to make sense. Doesn't seem to make sense, does it? What's going on today? And it was really hard for Joseph to make sense of it all in that day. So how can we call this third Sunday in Advent the Sunday of joy? Where is there joy? Well, first, it's a reminder that knowing God's character who he is, and knowing that God is always, always, always faithful, should allow us to have joy in any situation, including this one. Joseph's story is a great example of this. The Gospel of Matthew tells us all about how his how Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be pregnant because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, but he didn't want to make a public disgrace of her. He was going to divorce her. Then the angel came, and then all this took place, it says, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And then when Joseph woke up, he was okay. He all understood, and he did, as the angel said. Joseph had great faith in his fiance. He also had great faith in God. That's the only source of real joy. Did you hear that? He had great faith in God. That's the source of real joy. Joy is not about external happiness. Joy's deep down inside. There was a couple who were preparing for their wedding. They went to decorate the church, and the day before there had been a conference of some sort there. And when they took down all the stuff from the conference the day before, they forgot to take the banner off the pulpit. And someone in the wedding party said, You know what? Maybe you should just leave that up there. The banner which was good for that conference, might have been good for that wedding. It said these three words, worth the risk. Maybe that's a good thing to say about a wedding. When Joseph heard the news of Mary's pregnancy, he was going to very discreetly divorce her because he was a kind man. He knew that she could be killed. It would have brought shame to her whole family. And the fact that he even considered this divorce option tells us that he wasn't sure that marriage to her was worth the risk. But then something happened. The angel of the Lord came. And that brings us to our second question from today's passage. Why did the angel wait? Why did the angel wait until after Joseph was given the news that she was pregnant. He told Zechariah before Elizabeth was pregnant. Why did he wait until after Joseph had weighed his options and thought about what he might do? Why did he make Joseph wait before he told him who Jesus' father was? I think it might be, my suggestion is, Because it's in the waiting rooms of life that we learn a lot about ourselves. We learn a lot about what we really believe about God. During those waiting times, we learn how much, how strong our faith is. We learn how much we really do trust God. How do we react during those times of waiting? Do we get angry? Do we get scared? Do we get sarcastic? Do we start feeling sorry for ourselves? Or do we focus on God? Focus on who God is and look for ways that God could be working in this situation. How do we use our times of waiting? Complain or try to work out all the options? How do we react? In March of this year, all of a sudden, here we were in this situation. We were told no more church, nobody in the sanctuary. Holy moly. I never learned how to do that. None of our pastors did. None of our music people did. What are we going to do? Well, the first thing we did was go, oh man, this is really a mess. What do we do now? Just nothing? We just wait for it to pass? It's probably going to be over by Easter, right? Well, what if it isn't? So we worried and we fretted. and Oh, us pastors, we were just, we were all nervous wreck. let me tell you, including myself. We're talking to one another, having phone calls going on, phone conferences going on, Zoom meetings going on, and we're all trying to figure out how we're going to get through this. And for the most part, most of us at that point, because it was something new, were lost and alone and didn't know what to do. We didn't have anybody to go to for advice because this had never happened in our lifetimes or anybody's lifetime that was alive. And so we had two options. One, just don't have church. And say to heck with it whenever whenever this thing's over with, we'll go back to church. Number two, trust God. Trust God. Think about who God is. And think about all the situations and all the bad times that he has taken his people through and decide that he's going to get us through this too and start weighing some options and figure out how to have church. No, it was a no-brainer for me when I really began to think about it because we're blessed. We're one of the lucky churches. We were already online. We were already doing our services on Sunday mornings on YouTube. So that was the answer. Let's keep doing that. Then we had to work out ways that we could stay in touch with one another. And our people have done that. We've done, you know, we're doing things online. People are making phone calls. We even have a group of people who are making phone calls to certain other individuals on a regular basis. We have things like that going on. So we didn't just, during this time of difficulty and this time of waiting, we didn't react in a negative way. Instead, we picked ourselves up by the bootstraps and we said, let's go. The work must go on. There was a man who posted on the web the story of his first experience skydiving. He said the instructor told the students that when they reached a certain spot, he was going to motion to them to grab hold of a bar in the doorway of the plane and then they would roll out of the door and then wait for his signal to let go. And when he said to let go, they would dive. And he ended his instructions with these words. He said, now when you grab on and roll out, I'm going to tap you on the helmet when it's time to go. And when I do, that is not the time to start a conversation with me. He said, I don't want this to be who, me? Yeah, you. Let go? Yeah. Now? Yeah, now. No. No. If you try to start a conversation with me then, I will peel your fingers off the bar if I have to. That is not the time to ask questions. One of the most inspiring stories about the story of Joseph and Mary is and their child is that when God gave them the news that Mary would give birth to the Messiah, neither Mary or Joseph, neither one, started a conversation with God. Remember Zechariah, he did. He wanted to know how that was possible because he was old and his wife was old. No questions from these two. They just obeyed. They did what they needed to do, what they knew would be okay because they trusted God. And that is exactly what we did here. We just obeyed God and kept the work going. The council met together. Church leadership said, We're going to move on. As difficult as it may be, we're going to move on. We don't know what we're going to do, but we were, we're going to figure it out with God's help. And that's what we've done. So acting in faith is really the message of Christmas. It takes faith to declare to the world that a poor Jewish carpenter born 2,000 years ago is Emmanuel. It takes faith to say that Jesus came to save us from our sins and to restore us to God and to teach us how to live. It takes faith to say that God's plan for the salvation of the world comes through Jesus Christ. It takes faith to say, Jesus, change whatever you need to change in me to make my life pleasing to you. It takes faith and it takes courage. Someone wrote, courage is not limited to the battlefield or the Indianapolis 500 or bravely catching a thief in your house. The real tests of courage are those quiet times. They are the inner tests like remaining faithful when nobody's looking, like enduring pain when the room is empty, like standing alone when you're misunderstood. Joseph knew that he would be standing alone. He knew that he and Mary would be misunderstood. The people of this town would gossip. His family might turn against him and Mary. But Joseph trusted the promises of God. And he knew it was worth the risk to follow God, even when it was hard. At the start of World War II, the British government's Ministry of Information created a set of three posters to keep up the morale of the British people as they faced a brutal war with Germany. And each poster showed the crown of the king and a simple message in white against a solid colored background. The first poster that they put out and placed all around the country said these words very simply, your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring us victory. Then the second poster said, freedom is in peril. Defend it with all your might. These posters were plastered all over England to remind the British people that they may not be able to control the circumstances around them. Listen to these words. May not be able to control the circumstances around them but they could choose how they were going to respond. And then there was a third poster printed, but it didn't get released because the war ended. The poster, on on the final poster, the message was very simple. And this is, I think, been our battle cry. Keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and carry on. That's what Joseph and Mary did when God told them that they would bring God's sons into the world. They had courage, they had faith, the kind of faith that comes in trusting in God, trusting in God's character and God's promises and saying, every week we say it here, thy will be done, and really meaning it. In this season of waiting, two seasons of waiting really, Advent, and COVID. That's our mandate. Keep calm and carry on. I pray that each one of us will find the joy and the peace that can only come from trusting in Emmanuel, God with us, the light of the world. We can trust him in all things. Amen.